In Revelation 7, we have an interlude and stay of judgment until the fullness of the elect are sealed. Here now the reading of God's inspired word. Revelation 7, starting at verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Aser were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, <clears throat> and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Thus far the reading of God's inspired word from Revelation 
chapter 7. As a reminder, 4 through 11 of this book have the seven seals, the seven angelic trumpets, the seven thunders sealed up, the resurrection and judgment of the great day and the Ark of the Testament. We looked at chapters 4 and 5 last week. We saw chapter 6 this, at the 1 o'clock service, and now we're considering chapter 7. You'll notice the sixth seal is the last one we've had. We have not yet had the seventh seal. And if you look there at chapter 8, verse 1, the seventh seal is opened. So this is an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seals, and here we see some important things. We have in verses 1 through 3, the destructive angels stayed by their prince until God's servants are sealed. I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Now remember from chapter 1 we talked about the numbers of the book of Revelation. The number four represents creation. Four angels, four corners, four winds. And these winds will do what? They will destroy, they will come in and undo and destroy the whole created order as it stands in rebellion against Almighty God. But notice, the wind is not blowing because these angels hold back the winds so that the earth or the sea or trees are not destroyed. The earth is left. Why? Until the sealing is complete. And that's what happens. The other angel ascends. Now, the word ascend means to go up, like you ascend the steps up here to come in if you're parked down there. Descend means you go down. And we'll look at this in Proverbs 30 later, God willing. You descend to go down and you ascend. Now, what what, pray tell, ascends in the east? Well, the sun does, does it not? The sun of righteousness, Jesus Christ, with the great seal of God for all the servants of the Lord. In fact, you can read in Ezekiel 46 of this prince who comes to the east gate of the house of God. The Lord Jesus in verse 3 says, Hurt not till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Everyone's worried about the mark of the beast. What they need to be worried about is the mark of the living God. Do you know that Satan can only imitate what God does? God has a mark, so Satan has a mark. God says on your hand and between your eyes, you're to remember his commandments. So Satan says, no, you need to remember my commandments, my mark, my way of seeing and thinking and living. God seals his servants in their foreheads as frontlets between their eyes. And until all the elect are sealed, God's not going to judge. The winds won't be released. The destruction will not come until the full number of the elect comes in. God is not slack, as Peter says, but long-suffering to usward, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a mark in the forehead. Satan has a cheap knockoff, as is usually the case. God is compassionate upon his elect. Do they deserve with the rest of mankind God's judgment? Could he release the winds and destroy them all? Of course. But God holds them back 
by angelic energies and powers. He keeps back this destructive force, which one time he will release and it will all come. But God loves his elect. Providence directs all things for their good. Let us then rejoice in this goodness, in God's long suffering. The whole world exists for the sake of the elect. Otherwise, God would destroy it all. Then we have the ideal Israel in verses 4 through 8, sealed by God himself. This is what the Lord Jesus was referring to. The servants of God are considered in a twofold manner. One, as the chosen people. Two, as the multitude which no man can number. This is the same people. They're all redeemed with the same blood. This is not, well, we've got our 144,000 and that's a literal number and that means no more. Let me show you. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now remember when we looked at the elders, 12, twice over, right? What is 12? It is the divine number three, blessing and multiplying the creation's number four, that gives you 12. So when you have two covenants of blessing, the Old and the New Testaments, what do you have? 24 elders. You have the, the patriarchs and you have the apostles. Now, take that number 12 and multiply it by itself. Take the blessing of Almighty God and His multiplying with His creation and doing it here and then multiply those together toward each other and what do you have? 144. Now take the number of perfection, which is 10, and multiply it three times, 10 by 10 by 10. What do you have? A thousand. So what do you have when you take 1,000 and you multiply it by the perfect number of God's two testaments? 144,000. God's divine fullness, three tens, multiplied by his two testaments, his work, three, with the blessing of creation, four, and this ideal number shows up for all of his chosen, all of his called, all of his sealed. None of his elect shall be lost. They shall all be brought in. They shall all be sealed, and the Lamb's wrath awaits what? The sealing of the 144,000. This ideal Israel, the people of Almighty God. Now notice the catalog in verses 5 through 8 of ideal Israel. It is not real Israel that we're talking about, by the way. It's not his kinsmen according to the flesh. How do I know that? Well, first is the number. Do you think there would have been at least 144,000 saved from the time that God made his covenant with Abraham all the way until the end of the Old Testament? Is that even conceivable that there could be less than that? How many in Elijah's day? 7,000, right? And if that's at a low ebb of the church's history, imagine the thousands of years or hundreds of years that preceded and went after. Do you think there were only 144,000 Jews saved? It's ridiculous. This is an ideal number. This is not the actual number mathematically calculated. Oh, we reached 144. I know you want to believe. I know you're elect by God, but get out. No. Here's how else. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Now, Levi had no inheritance, but Dan had an inheritance, and what did he do with it? 
Did you see Dan in this passage? Because he's not there. Do you know what Dan did with his inheritance? He forsook it. And where did he go? He went up to the north. And he said, I will build a city for myself. And what did he take there? You remember in the book of Judges? He took Micah's idols and his priest. And he said, we're going to build our own inheritance, our own kingdom, our own religion. We don't need God. We don't need his inheritance. We don't need any. Does that mean there were no saved Danites? Again, no. What it does mean is God is saying those who despise his inheritance are not part of the number of the, of the elect. They are excluded. They are not included. And those who might have been excluded from the inheritance, namely Levi, will be incorporated in their place. Remember, not one is lost but the son of perdition. The same goes for Israel. The son of perdition Dan kicked out, Levi is put in his place. Levi inherits while Dan, who forsook his inheritance, was excluded. Also, one other note in verse 8, it mentions Joseph. You read nothing of Ephraim, and that is because Ephraim is Joseph in the Bible. The two are used interchangeably. Ephraim being the firstborn is often called Joseph. Then verses 9 and 10, having the ideal Israel set before us, we have the universal church triumphant, innumerable, and praising God. Verse 9 tells us this was a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. This is no longer the idyllic church of the 144,000. This is a more plain description of the elect. It's the same elect considered in a different manner, no longer as the idyllic, but now as the multitudinous. They cannot be numbered. And this is precisely what God promised to Abraham. They are clothed with white robes. They have palms in their hands. The perfection of their righteousness, the glory of their resurrection, the palms of victory as kings and more than conquerors through him that loved them, this is the elect. And to exclude the 144,000 as some irrationally do makes absolutely no sense. These are the same people. These are the same conquerors. One is idyllic and one is innumerable. Consider then the greatness of Christ's kingdom, of his love for us, of his righteousness and his victory and his kingdom. Set your minds and affections on these things that are above, lest you perish with them that inhabit the earth. Notice the song that they sing, verse 10. With a loud voice, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Where did they get the palms? Where did they get the kingdom? Where did they get the priesthood? Where did they get the robes of victory? Well, they tell you. Salvation, where is it from? God. It's to be ascribed to him alone. Let us humble ourselves before the blessed Lamb of God. Salvation unto him. It is his work. It is his robe. It is his victory. Verses 11 and 12, we have the angels, the elders, and the four beasts worship and confirm the triumph with a sevenfold doxology. 
They fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, though exalted, though mighty, though by God's decree, doing exactly as he commands at all times. What do they do? Bow their faces down before the living God. They worship God alone. And what do they say? Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might. What is that? Seven. It's the number of God. Three, with his creation. Four, the fullness of his salvation. They recognize this fullness of blessing and praise to God and God alone. God is to be blessed. God is to be glorified since he is glorious. God is wise. God is worthy to be thanked. God's name is to be honored and hallowed. <coughs> God is powerful. God is almighty. This fullness of praise is to be offered to him. Remember, God will not take his glory and give it to any other. That's why it's a sevenfold word of praise. The fullness of our praise terminates on only one object, God and the Lamb, and that's it. Then verses 13 through 17, we have the Lamb's heavenly flock serving in God's temple. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, not answering a question, answering the event, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Do you know he doesn't expect John to answer this? He expects John not to know. So that John will inquire of him, what do you mean? What are you talking about? This is a rhetorical question. Sir, thou knowest, verse 14. Now this word sir is kurios. It is a civil reference of respect, showing reverence and honor to his elder. And by this humility, John acknowledges, I don't know. I'm not sure what this means. I'm here to learn. I'm here to report what God says to me. Sir, thou knowest. He says, these are they that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, if you have ever slaughtered a sheep, and if you've ever gotten blood on you from the slaughter of a sheep or a deer, you know that if you have white clothing on and you happen to get stains from their blood, what happens to that white clothing? Does it get nice and sparkly and bright and beautiful and white? What if you had a, a dirty coat on and you slit the throat of that beast and it splattered up at you and it got all over your coat? You think it would clean it? No. This is what is known as a verbal paradox. How does blood like crimson make you whiter than snow, Isaiah 1.18? Because 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sins. That's how they became so sparkling white. Because of the blood of the Lamb, washed in his blood, made whiter than snow. This means that the 144,000 who were sealed with the seal of God were washed in the blood, and they are the same with the innumerable multitude. Wash away your sins in the blood of the Lamb. 
make you whiter than snow. And because they are washed in the blood of the Lamb, therefore, verse 15, are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Redemption and the forgiveness of sins terminates in what? Well, I just get into heaven, right? You know, that's all I want. No, worship. They serve God. To be the doulos, to slave for God, is to offer him acts of worship, to bow the knee, to sing his praise, to sing the glory of our Redeemer. That's what it means to serve God day and night. He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. God says in his promise, I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. This is the conclusion of time, so to speak. All the elect have been sealed, all of them dwelling in his presence, all of them washed in his blood, now all of them serving him day and night. And notice what happens to the curse. They shall hunger no more neither thirst anymore. Why? The Lamb of God feeds them as a shepherd. But wait, he's a lamb. Don't we draw the lambs after us and feed them? No. Now the lamb feeds his flock. They shall not hunger. They shall not thirst. The lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. He is the good shepherd. He is the sheep. He is the priest. He is the Lamb of God. Another, again, verbal paradox The lamb doesn't feed anybody. You feed your lambs, and here the lamb feeds you. Christ is our sufficiency. Their condition of want shall be supplied by Christ himself, and God who sits on the throne shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, all their afflictions, all their miseries, famine, persecution, peril, sword. Remember this promise of God. He shall wipe away every tear, every sorrow, every misery that could ever be encountered by his chosen people. He will wipe it all away. And thus far, the exposition of Revelation chapter 7.